Thursday, May 3rd. This is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Gentlemen, happy Thursday. Afternoon. Thank you, Chris. We're going to wrap up the week with a round of yes, no, maybe so. I don't think we've done this in a while. This is where the guys come to the table with two stocks they really like, two stocks they really don't like, and a couple of stocks that they are on the fence about. Um, Jason, I'll start with you. What is your yes stock? Well, they just rocked Mr. Market's world again last night when they released earnings. Whole Foods Market, uh, just killing it again. Comparable store sales up, uh, I believe, 9, 9.5%. And record weekly store sales, uh, let me see here, $700,000 per week, average weekly store sales. And uh, that breaks out to sales per square foot of $971, an operating margin of 7.1%. And just to put that into context, last year at the same time, uh, weekly store sales were at 644000 with a sales per square foot of $888 and an operating margin of 6%. So they continue just to fire on all cylinders. And I think the whole... The whole, you know, that joke of whole paycheck, you know, whole yeah. foods. I mean, they kind of spun that thing around, tipped it on its head a little bit. You should have been, you should have been investing your whole paycheck <laughs> in Whole Foods Market, and and they continue just to really, really shine. And, and just, I I think that you can still buy the stock today. Um, I know we don't ever want to look at a company and put everything, all of our analysis on just one metric. But I am curious whether it's Whole Foods or any other sort of retailer in that space, where do you put same-store sales um, in the pecking order? Is that like a, a, a top five in terms of important metrics when you're looking at a company like Whole Foods? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's one of the first metrics they refer to in their releases. And really what it tells us is it gives us a great you know overall view of what is going on. It tells us the traffic is up, they're selling more stuff, and that things are generally good. And when we see same-store sales starting to fall, we know that there's less traffic, they're selling less stuff. And so that's why you know they, they continue to put out these just tremendous same-store sales numbers, which just the market continues just to eat up, and the stock's up about 7% today. You know, I don't really see any reason for this to stop. They've even upped their guidance for the rest of 2012. And if you look at that, that upped guidance of about $2.45 per share uh, in earnings, you know, that puts the stock today, with today's pop, at around 36 times earnings, which is still reasonable, I think, for a, for a company that's really still a compelling growth story. So, Bill, you agree with that? Yeah, it's done a great job. Um, and I think the same store sales for them, you know, anytime a company that is as established as Whole Foods puts up a number like 9%, you, you've got to take notice of that. You've got to ask certain questions about whether the, what you're comparing it to is, is, is a fair comparison in same store sales. Uh, usually is. You, you'll get things like weather. Sure. Uh, a lot of companies this quarter have had uh, great uh, comparable numbers. And it, it it's going to be tough next year. Let's just think ahead next year because yep. of the weather, because of the timing of Easter. A couple things all broke the way right. of, of this quarter. Uh, that said, nine percent is something which, absent uh, you know some disclaimer uh, that, that isn't here in this case, you, you're going to say, well, that that's a company that's really kicking ass right now. And I think he makes a really good point in noting that with all of these great numbers, they're setting themselves up for you know serious numbers to beat as the future comes. I mean, they're going to have to continue to just meet these numbers and beat them going yep. forward. So, inevitably, there's going to be a miss here or there, and something's going to happen. But I still think that you're looking at a company that is, you know, they have to be very specialized, very picky about where they put their stores to begin with. So, I mean, you look at they have a little bit over 300 stores right now, whereas you have something like Safeway, which is a little bit of a different setup there, sure. but that's 1,700 or so stores. So, 
you know, we're not going to ever see Whole Foods with that with that many stores. They have to be very selective where they put these stores so they don't have to close them later due to underperformance. And not not that Whole Foods, not that that food is particularly a weather driven, you know, purchase some of the, some of the things like Home Depot or you know company I've talked about here, Tractor Supply, which had yep. you know amazing first quarter same store sales numbers. That's a lot of purchases that people made in the quarter because of the weather that they're not going to make in the second quarter. Right. They're not going to buy that Those again. Those just got pulled forward. Whole Foods, different story. It, you know, they, I'm sure they didn't have any store closures because of snow in the whole quarter, mm-hmm. and that, that's nice and all. But, you know, the, the, it's a, a purer number than some of the other retailers that, that we've heard. Shares trading at an all-time high, that doesn't put you off just a little? You know, it's tough to really ever, you could sit here and wait for the opportunity to buy this one. And, and I think that, you know, very often that can be a dangerous a dangerous way to look at it because the stock will continue to go up and, and you can just completely miss the boat. So, I think this is a great example of a company where if you're looking to buy, if you want to own Whole Foods Market, then look at buying this one in thirds or in fourths. So, maybe open a position today with the goal of, of adding to it in little bits, you know, in pieces here and there so you can take advantage of, of any uh, opportunities where the price falls. Bill Barker, what's your yes stock? Uh, my yes stock is uh, um, it's it's a it's a mild yes because the the price has gone up. But Amazon.com um, is a company which had uh, I think thirty to thirty five percent, thirty four percent maybe uh, increased revenues for the, the previous quarter uh, reported a week ago, and um, that that was a sort of an eye popping number. For, again, this is an established business. This isn't anything that you you expect. They're always growing product lines and things over there, but. To add 34% to what was already, you know, mind-bogglingly good numbers from a year ago uh, speaks to how much uh, people still are moving toward the Internet for their their retail purchases. And uh, one of the problems that Amazon had had as a a stock, not really as a company, had been uh, the margins the previous quarter. A lot of people were worried about margins going down and and the effect of... uh, you know, Kindle not being uh, a high-margin product for them, uh, but uh, their margins improved uh, about 150 basis points, something like that, uh, over the year before. So it, it's uh, good times again uh, for the stock as, as well as the company. And uh, I think that if you look forward uh, over the next several years, it's it's going to continue to be the dominant uh, retailer. You know. In, Taking more and more market share away from uh, you know the stores on the street. Now shares are trading around two hundred thirty. Um, let's go back in time to March twentieth when the three of us were in this room uh, doing a market foolery <laughs> podcast, and um, we were doing overvalued, undervalued, and you called it undervalued at one hundred ninety-two dollars a share, uh, which prompted an email from one of our. Uh, loyal listeners, one of our dozens of listeners, uh, Jeb Jones, who back on March 20th wrote, my jaw is still coming up off the floor. Amazon is undervalued? Huh? And he cited the P.E. ratio. And, and, you know, in looking at it, it's and I'm a longtime shareholder and it's hard to look at Amazon's P.E. ratio, which now I believe is somewhere in the neighborhood of 180 or something like that and not come away with the feeling of, wow, that seems insanely high. Yeah, and, and I think um, you forwarded uh, generously that email to <laughs> us uh, as soon as you got it, as, as you do when, whenever loyal listeners uh, um, email. Particularly to... if they're mocking you. Yeah, well. <laughs> we don't discriminate. We get no, them no, all. This is not mocking uh, Jeff Beck because I thought it was a legitimate question. If, if a PE is oftentimes... 
a good place to start um, in in trying to compare the price to the earnings. That is what the PE is. Um, but there are times when the earnings are distorted, and so uh, Amazon's the E in, in the denominator in that equation. Uh, w- was brought way down because of a lot of investment, a lot of spending sure. um, that, that was not meant to immediately produce earnings. And it's uh, growing the business uh, for earnings down the line. Earnings have to show up ultimately in order to justify the, the price of the stock. The, the sales are there, and they need to have good, better margins than they have shown in the last couple of quarters. But what it was up to investors to figure out um, after the the Christmas uh, report was you know is is uh, are the earnings impaired in in a meaningful way? Many people thought so. Uh, drove the price of the stock down, but still it looked very expensive because of of the impact on earnings. So uh, Jason had answered this, and you get the same answer from the from those emails about looking at um, you know the cash flow and looking at. Uh, you know, the cash conversion, and, and you can add some of the detail to that. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, Amazon, they're able to get, they, they get their money from the consumers well before they have to, have to really pay for their goods. So they're able to get that money and then invest more into the business. And so as that cycle continues, it allows Amazon to invest all of that money that they get without having to worry about finding ways to get money to invest more in the business. And you know, we know that Amazon is a business based on scale and volume. They have to sell more and more things because retail is just generally a very thin margin of business. But the beauty of it is that as they are able to invest in the business and build the business and grow their scale, uh, they will begin to take more advantage of economies of scale. And I bet over time, we'll see that net margin line creep up. And when it does, look out because the stock is going to pop. Well, I mean, I, I said this is a, a a mild yes. It it has moved up quite mm-hmm. a bit since since March twentieth. Nice twenty percent pop since you 20, called it twenty percent top. Uh, and and I I wouldn't expect that you know in, in again in the near future yep. um, because uh, it's it's already happened. It's now got to prove itself again next quarter and and forward. But uh, as a longtime shareholder, congratulations again <laughs> uh, on on where it stands. As a also stock. on that March twentieth podcast, uh, Jason Moser's overvalued stock was Groupon, which at the time was trading just under eighteen dollars a share. Now I think it's like ten and change. What was my overvalued stock? I don't remember. Right. I don't remember. <laughs> we're not, not going to revisit the whole thing. <laughs> we don't have that kind of we research don't. capability <laughs> around here. It takes way too much time and effort. Um, let's move on to the no stocks. Jason, what do you got? Chris Aubrey McClendon could change his name to Tex, and it would not change my mind. <laughs> Chesapeake is one that you need to stay away from. Uh, there are plenty of reasons not to like what's going on here. I think we've covered it on virtually every podcast and radio show for the past couple of weeks. And, I mean, it just continues to be one of those stories where you're waiting for the next shoe to drop. And whether it's these, you know, nebulous and less than forthcoming borrowings connected to company assets, you know, news of him running a hedge fund from 2004 to 2008. I mean, who knows what else is going to happen here. I appreciate the argument that there are some assets on Chesapeake's balance sheet that may be undervalued, and the stock price doesn't really take that into account. But you also have to remember that when you have management here that's less than trustworthy, and I, and I would put McLennan in that class there, you don't know what they've really been doing yeah. there. And when we look at this company's balance sheet, there are such things as off-balance sheet items which come into play here, and there's plenty of stuff out there that we don't even know about. Uh, so you look at this stock and think, well, it's 30% down this year. Maybe this is kind of a buying opportunity. Personally, for me, I don't think so. I mean, I think if you're going to look at an energy play, 
energy is volatile no matter which way you look at it. Let's put this in the context here as far as the balance sheet goes. You look at Chesapeake's market cap today, about $10.7 billion, and the company has net debt of around $13 billion. And that's just what we know from stated in, you know, on the balance sheet. Uh, Exxon, uh, conversely, it has a market cap of $405 billion and has net debt of $4.5 billion. So, significantly, uh, significant advantage there in balance sheet alone, not to mention the fact that Exxon is, is the largest natural gas producer in the world. So, I think Chesapeake, they're going to have to focus on really selling off a lot of their assets, and they're going to have to really depend on, on natural gas bouncing back up towards 4 to $5 to really be able to, to, to shore up their balance sheet and, and figure out a way to move forward. I, I applaud what they've done in getting uh, McClendon out of the chairman role and separating those two roles. I think really now they need to make a transition, bring a new CEO in there. Well, I, th- I think that is the question is whether how much of this company is going to stay intact because the the sort of management uh, structure of the company is now being assigned a massive negative value. Uh, the the assets of the company are worth more than the stock is is trading for right now uh so as a going concern it's it it's almost it being you know measured as as negative value being created by everybody who works there <laughs> uh, which is accurate right you know uh because people yeah. on the on the plus side as many problems as as they have and mistakes as they've made the customers aren't going to turn away from them because they no longer trust you know, management. It's not not like a retail thing where you can blow things enough that the people that that you need to sell things to no longer like you and 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 will choose to to go elsewhere. Right. You know, it's commodity. If they can produce at a lower price, uh, if if they've got assets that are that are valuable can can be turned through you know um, uh, real estate transactions in, into you know profits for somebody that that's going to work out. But if management has to be turned over and the board has to be turned over and there are good arguments for both here then what then what is the company you know i mean you can't really bring in an entirely new set of people to to start from scratch because you know then then you just got to sell off all the assets more or less and and that's a forced sale so so the notion that wow these shares are beaten down these shares are arguably cheap and all they need is a new CEO. If you're making that bet, it sounds like both of you are like, no, 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 don't. that's not the reason to buy shares. I'm not arguing the point at all that there is not. I mean, there's not. There is value there. There is some value. There's no question about that. But I mean, part of this just goes back to there's so many different opportunities out there and so many alternatives right. that I don't think investors. I mean, unless you're, you know, like it's just a dirty value investor or special operate or special opportunities kind of investor where you just are looking for this kind of stuff. I just don't see any reason to dabble in it because there are still so many unknowns out there. Bill Barker, what's your no stock? Uh, my no stock is more of a macro call uh, or or a fiscal call, I guess, um, and it's it's Lockheed Martin. It's really all defense contractors, which I think are going to see uh, the budget impacted uh, in a way that does not help them. Uh, if if Congress, let's start with the assumption that Congress will be as uh, will work together as well in the near future <laughs> as it has in the recent past. <laughs> In that case, <laughs> as assumptions go, that seems to be a pretty safe one. In that case, there will automatically be nine hundred and fifty billion dollars cut from the defense budget over the next ten years, rather than the four hundred and fifty billion, which has already you know been triggered to be cut. So uh, it is certainly possible that a deal could be struck, which somehow cuts from from some other parts of the budget. Uh, 
But if, if you want to bet on dysfunctionality more or less staying the same, mm-hmm. then that's a net negative for, for defense contractors. Lockheed Martin's the biggest, best, most successful. This is not an attack really on you know what they have done, what they provide. Uh, you put Raytheon in this boat too? Put Raytheon, you know, and anybody you can name in this boat. I think Lockheed Martin is a little bit more exposed just because of the size of, of the business. Uh, they've got a great balance sheet. They're able to buy back shares. Um, so I, I think there is a, a decent floor, uh, you know, under underneath the, the operations and, and the company here. It's not an expensive stock. There isn't growth being priced into it. But I think that even level sales over the next three to five years is, is going to turn out to be um, less likely. And I think the market is pricing in at the moment. If you could buy shares in congressional dysfunction, it sounds like that's a buy. It sounds well. Like- <laughs> well, those are trading at very high prices right now. I mean, you, you needed you needed to go back. I think if you could have bought that at the last election cycle when there was hope for you know better working operations between uh, yeah. the, the various branches and parties, um, I think they were selling at a low point yeah. right then. Right now. I don't know, they're they're priced pretty efficiently. Uh, before we close with the maybe so stocks, uh, I got to mention this weekend is Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting. Jason, you're going to be flying out to that. Um, yep. Uh, mentioned this on yesterday's podcast. Check out we have a free uh, website. It's just berkshire.fool.com. Uh, Jason, Joe Mager, uh, Rich Griefner from uh, from our Duke Street service are going to be out there with a bunch of folks, uh, basically covering. The event. This is your first time, right? This will, yeah, this will be my first time. I've uh, held shares for a while and you know studied obviously Buffett Munger for some time, but this will be the first trek out there. What are you most looking forward to? You know, I remember reading something about Buffett talking about his his uh, you know ability to throw a newspaper and, and hit the front porch, and he was going to be throwing some challenges up there at the meeting, and anybody who beats him would get a dilly bar. Yeah, you know, I'd give that a whirl if if, uh, if that actually comes to fruition. I'd, I'd I'd take that on. I had a newspaper route as a kid. I think Did I could you? take him on. Yeah. Right. But, but I think a part of it is you've got to fold the newspaper, too. So there's a trick. Well, you're yeah, you're folding it without using a rubber band an, yeah. and doing it so that it doesn't fly apart when you throw it. And, and I bet he's, you know, he's been practicing. And, and an not everybody component. that gets up there and thinks they can take on the 80-year-old guy has thought through all the steps involved. Yeah. I think arm strength. I think the three of us got him. But, I, I mean, folding a newspaper, I mean. That's beyond you. That's way beyond <laughs> you. Uh, let's move on to the maybe so stocks. Jason, what do you got? What are you on the fence about? So I know it's probably blasphemy here, but as far as a stock goes, okay, let me clarify, as a stock, not as a consumer, but Apple, I, I guess I'm a little How bit How dare you? I know, I know. <laughs> but, could, which side are, are you not allowed to be on in this one? <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I guess, so I mean, as the, the, the good thing about having every little device in the house like we have between iPod touches, Kindles, Nooks, and iPads, and everything else in between is you get a chance to use them all. And so there's no question in my mind that, you know, iPad, I, you know, this thing is just terrific. Yep. iPod has obviously redefined uh, music for everyone, if, in, if for that matter. But I, iPhones, to me, I start wondering where do we reach that saturation point? Because the next quarter, they, they say they've, you know, sold. 20 gazillion iPhones, and I'm just trying to think, okay, how many people don't have an iPhone today? And I know I don't have an iPhone, but I think I'm probably, you know, obviously in the minority. Uh, at some point, that saturation point one. reaches. And, <laughs> and then, <Seth. laughs> you know, the other concern, and we've talked about this before, is that you know, the overseas markets, China, for example, I don't think the replacement cycle is going to be as robust as we see here. Yeah. And that's part of our own doing in the carrier subsidizing everybody's, you know, cell phones. And so the 
iPhone is not $600, it's $200, and then you get into that contract. So it's easy for us to replace. It's not so easy when it's a more expensive item uh, somewhere else. And I also don't think there's going to be a significant replacement cycle here with um, iPads either. Um, I ran into an interesting number here just uh, before taping. And in 2011, Apple sold 156 million iOperating System devices, which is more than all of the Macs, Mac computers that have sold in 28 years. So we know that oh. they're killing the mobile device segment with you know iPods and iPads and iPhones. Macs, I don't know, are ever going to really take up a majority of the share. We're always going to need desktops and laptops and those things that are Windows compatible. Um, tablets are obviously going to be a big part of where we go forward, but they're also really a consumption device. And so there's a lot of competition out there. And Apple is just, I don't know, man. Well, and we've talked about how the company is great at managing the expectations of Wall Street analysts, but uh, to the point you made earlier about uh, Whole Foods and the comps that they're going to have to try and beat next year, it just seems like for every great quarter that Apple turns out, they just keep raising the bar higher and higher for themselves. That's right. Doubling earnings constantly, uh, it would unbelievable that they did that again. Earnings per share, I think, were double more or less this this last quarter what they were the year before. Uh, in terms of the replacement cycle, I'd, I'd agree with some of that. I do think that there's uh, in my own household, uh, if, if you take an iPad, something like that, there's probably uh, enough uh, user interest for there to be four more iPads <laughs> in our house. So as they come up with you know each new generation of it. Uh, mom or dad might be interested in in getting that, and whereas they wouldn't normally replace it, the fact that the kids are already taking the device away from them right. half the time anyway allows them to go and, and get the new toy uh, and and feel like they're getting something new, but you know not to replace it so much as you know finally get their hands back on on what they thought they <laughs> were buying. Once again, for we themselves. get another peek into the Barker household <laughs> and parenting philosophy. Um, Bill, what's your maybe so stock? My maybe so stock is in the news today. It's actually down uh, quite a bit today. Sotheby's, which uh, the auction house, the auction house, which uh, was responsible for uh, the auction of uh, Munch's The Scream uh, right. record uh, price. One hundred twenty million. One hundred twenty million for a painting. For a painting. I get that it's a famous painting, but. That, I mean, really, one hundred twenty million, one hundred twenty million, and you know, I mean, I think that the, the price was one hundred and seven, and the commission was was like twelve, something like that. So, so twelve million revenue just for selling the one painting, which is not bad if you can get it, right? And I, I you know, hopefully the video you can you can edit in a couple copies, you know, a couple <laughs> you know of of the picture, right? For those that aren't aren't familiar with with the picture, if you can, you, you've then got let's that. just go ahead and clarify right now. We're talking about. Yeah, and that yeah, one, there right. you go. Excellent. And just go to fulltv.com <laughs> for that. And you know, it's a company which is doing well in times where the rich have hundreds of millions of dollars to throw around at, you know, art. And uh, and as if you want, you know, more evidence that the rich are doing just fine yeah. right now. Uh, Sotheby's recent business, uh, most recent, the, the whole auction also was was a big success yesterday, and not just the one painting. So it, it continues to do well in this type of uh, environment. That said, it, it's it's off of uh, some recent lows. You're not timing it right at, at any kind of a bottom. Uh, so it's it's a, it's a maybe so. It's, it's down about 5% today, though, so it's more interesting than it, than I was it was. I was going to say, one of the things that leans me towards the no side of this equation is just 
it just seems like I, I mean, you have to have a thesis going into investing in any stock, and it seems like part of the thesis of investing in a company like Sotheby's is the whims of the wealthy, <laughs> like the whims of the super rich. And who wants to bet on something like that? I don't. I don't know. You could. You could have made a lot of money betting on that at certain times, right? At certain times, Robin Leach would probably take that. All right, Jason Moser. Bill Barker, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Check out The Motley Fool Money radio show this weekend. Our guest, Motley Fool co-founder and CEO Tom Gardner, shares his take on the investing world. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.